name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, although many accuse him of it. John Wesley, from his Bible commentary around the year 1765. God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, although many accuse him of it. Do you? How many people around us think God's Son came to the world to condemn it? Our immediate response would be, oh, not me, I I don't think that. But my guess is that more of us cling to this notion than we think. It's obviously something that lingers in Christianity and Christian thought as pure error. It's an idea so wrong but somehow so commonly thought that God sends Jesus to judge you and to condemn you or at the minimum condemn the people that you don't like. Christian writers have struggled with this for centuries. And even 200 years before John Wesley, Martin Luther wrote in one of his sermons, If I picture Christ only as judge, I shall fear him. The result will soon be that I am constrained before him. I grow afraid of him, and then I hate him. And my heart becomes corrupt and blasphemous. Hate Jesus? Really? If we had any shred of belief in our hearts that God is going to purposely judge us, punish us, somehow stop us down or hurt us because we are just being ourselves, warts and all, we are harboring this egregious error and we are accusing God of sending Jesus to condemn us. Maybe that's why so many of our friends who are not gathered here are so afraid of church, of religion, of any faith, even of God. Maybe that's why some people just dismiss anything about God as untrue altogether. Because when entering these discussions about God, people either themselves harbor this idea that God sends Jesus to condemn us or that we, in our character, somehow display something, something buried deep down in our subconscious, something so hidden we don't entirely see it manifest, some little belief somewhere that God constrains us and makes us afraid, that God coming into the world That God is coming into the world for judgment and that we need to be scared. That God is mean. That God is an angry God. Wow. This is tough. This strikes at the core of our learning and of our culture and our belief systems. Many accusing God of condemning the world. To see this, we don't actually have to look very far at all in our public discourse about religion. This belief is alive and well. 
In political campaigns, there's always all this stuff about how if we choose wrongly, God's going to punish us. We have all these debates on public policy about where God steps in and if God's going to hurt us if we make the wrong choice. Or on diplomacy, who should we be allies with and who should we not be? And it's even present in church life, it's present in our family life when we experience tragedy. Someone dies, someone else says, well, this is God's will. Really? God wants death? This kind of long-held belief is kind of everywhere. And it is dead wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, thinking about this becomes overwhelming because we find... In this person, we find this character, this person of Jesus that we read about in John's gospel sometimes overwhelming. His personality and his demeanor are so different in John's gospel than what we've been reading all year. Since after Christmas, we've been reading from Mark's gospel. And the character of Jesus in Mark's gospel is really quick and and he's fast moving and he moves from one place to another and he heals people and then he teaches in very short sentences without much interpretation at all. And the only real message is about love and inviting the world to experience the kingdom of God and all that it has. That's about it. And even if you read Mark at that time towards the end, it even ends in such a way that you want more. But now we're reading from John's gospel. It's always a change in tone during Lent. And in John's gospel, the person of Jesus is very different. As author David Schlaffer remarks, he's a long-winded philosopher, a cosmic sign spinner, Tossing out I am images one upon the other. I am the bread of life, living water, the true vine. I am the good shepherd. Jesus is always, always, always in charge in St. John's Gospel. And that aspect alone makes him hard to relate to. But Jesus in John's Gospel is the interpreted Jesus. And this is a good thing. The Jesus we read about today is someone whom the early church, the early Christian community wrote down these stories about Jesus much later. Easily 50 years after Jesus died and rose again. Maybe more. And this Jesus we read about in John is the experienced Jesus. The one whom the community has experienced as the living, breathing, ongoing, living word of God. And so John's gospel offers interpretations to the many other stories and experiences that the earlier followers of Jesus had. John's gospel helps us and helps them articulate what the community is learning about God's very nature. And the community writes all these stories down through the lens of this beloved disciple that many note as John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So we are then, therefore, invited to read and to learn and interpret these stories through this same lens of being beloved, through this lens of love. 
And so the interpretations of Jesus and John's gospel offer things like this, a statement that's in no other gospel where Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We don't choose Jesus. We respond to Jesus. Jesus chooses us. Does this sound like a God that's sending Jesus to harshly judge us? Really? Does it? No. But the world accuses God of doing this. The world makes us hold on to this distant dim view of God. We don't always realize this, but we are scarred. We walk around with scars by these ongoing messages. We think of God in a dark way. So what is God actually doing in today's reading? What is God actually doing? In Jesus, God is sending us the purest form of love that God knows how to send into the world. God sends a portion of God's self to live and breathe and dwell among us so that we can learn how to be closer to the very heart of the divine, to the very heart of God. That's number one. Secondly, Jesus, in Jesus, God is starting this cosmic restoration, this restoration of the created world and the world order and making the wrong things right and lifting up the broken things and restoring the belovedness of our being in each and every one of us. And third, in Jesus, God is inviting us to know God and to love God and to see God calling our hearts to choose love above everything else, so that God's love becomes our love for God, and that our love for God then transforms us and helps us love the world, a transformational love. When God so loves the world, the world begins to change. We receive God's heart Literally, a physical beating heart of God that walks on the planet and a mind that thinks and a hands that teach us how to be of service in ministry for the life of the world. And we receive this restoration, a world where God puts us in the driver's seat to help God's divine presence on earth make things right again. And we're taught how to love how to draw nearer to God, how to abide in God through Jesus so that, the dwelling in, so that dwelling in God's presence, when we dwell in God's presence, in God's light, when we go to the light like the reading tells us, it will allow us to love others in the way that God loves us. You know the effects of these gifts. You know the effects of these gifts. You know how God's actions in this way can transform us. This is the God that is standing with students all over the country as they offer real-world, personal, heartfelt testimonials about their desire to go to school in safety 
without the threat of violence. This is the God that sends relief workers from the Red Cross, from Doctors Without Borders, from the United Nations and Save the Children, and even our very own Kathleen O'Leary to go to all these very forlorn, despondent, desperate places on the globe that need rescuing. This is the God that empowers women everywhere on this International Day of Women that took place on Friday, that empowers women to join together for peace, to counter the evils of human trafficking, to insist on justice for those who are wrongly imprisoned, to champion the nutrition, health, and well-being of mothers and children everywhere. Our own Myra Kingsley's at the United Nations this weekend at the International Conference on the Status of Women. This is the God that empowers women. But this is also the God that invites us. Yes, us. You and me. To think about what it really means to love the world. To act upon that love. And to be an agent of God's restoration. To be a catalyst in the world that builds up the right things. And addresses the things that are wrong. To teach others how they too are capable of this type of love. And that we together with Jesus bring about real change. Change for good. Change for restoration. Change for the sake of God's kingdom. A new world. A new reality. This vision of heaven and earth merging Eternally, yes, but also in the here and now. Bringing earth to heaven and heaven to earth. This is the God that invites you to be a part of this here, right now, for your entire life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that anyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Thank God came to cast judgment upon you. Think again. Through Jesus, God is here, right here, right now. And wants to give you life. Life.